Lovely to see you all. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Nigel and Callie came and uh, the beginning of the year talked to our leaders group. We've started a leaders group encouraging leadership in, in Hope Church and they did a com- and came to my house. We had a meal together with 10 other leaders and we had a fantastic time. They were really encouraging, prophesied over a couple of our couples, which was very significant. Thank you for that. So it's a, it's a great privilege to be able to be here and to share with you something that I feel God has put on uh, my heart for today. Uh, actually, it was also on my heart last week. So Phil said, oh, you did that last week. And it's true, I did. But I actually feel it's something that God wants to speak to us about. And that is about the, the issue of father, the issue of father. You know, I was shocked uh, about a year ago in, in our youth group. So we, my wife and I lead a youth group. We have about eight or nine young people aged between 12 and 17 at the moment in the church, which we're really delighted about. And I asked them, who out of you would say you've had a good father or have a good father? And I think one kid put their hand up one child. And that includes the leaders. That includes the leaders. I put my hand up as well. You see, we're living in a culture where fathers are either absent or passive or have no interest in being a father. Last year in the Guardian, people on Father's Day, which was last week, wrote some letters uh, which were printed. Let me uh, read you some of these Uh, moving accounts of what people think of when they think of their father. If dad were alive today, I would hug him tight, even though he would always break away from me first. I would pour him a cold beer, then another, and keep my fingers crossed we were in for a super daddy darling, not a boring, nasty, expletive deleted. I I would follow football and boxing and snooker just so I could talk with him about them and try really hard every day to show him that actually... He was a much-loved man. Thanks to his upbringing, I don't think he ever really believed that. If my dad were alive today, I would tell him that I thank my lucky stars I married a man who is nothing like him. I wouldn't tell him that it's still hard to work to love him, even in death, when I hear new twists on old cruel tales, selfish family dramas in which my dad had taken the lead role. I would probably wouldn't tell him that I'd consider it the ultimate selfish act to smoke like a chimney like one's life, and uh, all one's life and then die of lung cancer and leave us. If my complicated, utterly fearless, brighter than the sun dad were alive today, I would hug him and never, ever let him go. Perhaps this time he'd let me. When I had my own children, this is another one, 20 and 16 ye- uh, years ago and watched the, the way their wonderful father behaved with them, I mourned then for the father I'd never had, which all of us deserve, someone to love them unconditionally, not to destroy their self-esteem and make them wonder who they, why they had been born. Sadly, your death did not relieve me of these feelings, and for this lasting legacy, I'll never forgive you. I know your problems were never dealt with, but if passing them on to me and my siblings was your answer, then I wonder why you ever had children at all. I have achieved all that I have in spite of you and created my own loving, happy family without your help. I will always be sad not to have had this kind of dad I needed, but I have managed without you, and I'm glad that you are gone. Another one. Do you remember the day when you were traveling back from school and you suddenly said, Polly, look, there's a tree shaped like a duck. I'm never sure whether I saw it or not, but every time I see it now, I remember that day. Then a few weeks ago, you discovered a tree nearby shaped as if it were a bird on top. Oh, how we laughed. You know how they say that your parents are your toughest critics? Well, I think you are. When I showed you that maxi dress, I could tell by the look on your face that you didn't like it. At least you keep me grounded. 
Obviously, being an art teacher completely shapes your view of the world, like maxi dresses. Not too sure about those, though, are you, Dad? It's funny, writing this about you, the almighty Papa C, as my friends call you, turns out to be quite difficult, because I'm worried I might offend you. But when you read it, you cried, so it can't have been that bad. Love you very much, Dad. Thanks for everything. Another one. Dear aged parent, the hangover from your epic birthday party is receding now, but the memory of your grin as you blow out the candles remains. The cake was inscribed 90. You're kidding. And your appetite for life is undiminished, even though you can see very little and your hearing is spasmodic. The hearing aid has proved useful, though. When you're bored with a conversation, usually in church, you remove it, close its box with a loud snap and take a nap. Every morning I glance across to your house and wait for the call. It will open with the words, so what's happening today, love? And you will require a full update. I know the day will involve a hunt for either your walking stick, your door key, or your telephones, and there will be a passionately fought game of drafts played by, play, played by touch with your son-in-law. Later, you'll join us for dinner. The more guests, the merrier. And finally, your granddaughter will tuck you into bed. Every day is a bonus now. I love you, Dad. People have got different experiences, haven't they, of dad, of dads. Every one of us has got good experiences and bad experiences of our, how our fathers have treated us. One way of trying to work out whether or not you need some healing in the issue of calling God Father is whether or not you find it difficult to pray Father. I've come across people, and there are many people in my church who pray, Oh God, or they pray Jesus, or they pray Lord, but you very rarely hear them say Father. And Jesus says, you've got to call him Father. That's what he is. And if it's difficult to say those words, your Father wants to heal you, and maybe he wants to start even today. I've called this talk the Father's Day, because it's not Father's Day, but it is always the Father's Day. Something's gone deeply wrong with our culture, as I've sort of shared a little bit. Some statistics, which are true statistics, lend us to think that there's something that's gone wrong. In 2011, 2 million lone parents in the UK, that's 92% of women looking after dependent children, is a shocking fact. 92% of the 2 million are women looking after their children with no father around, with no dad in the house. Research suggests that children whose fathers are absent in their youth experience far greater problems in all areas, on all aspects of life. Dads are important. Fathers are important. In 2007, UNICEF's report on childhood development found that Britain is the worst country for a child to grow up out, out of all the industrialized nations, far worse than all the other countries in terms of poverty, happiness, relationships, and risk. And the reason for that is because fathers are either passive or absent completely. Well, this is what the Bible says. In, in, the, in the funny little book of Nahum, it says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And maybe you're sitting here and maybe you're thinking, well, my dad wasn't even interested in me. In our church, we have 25% of our adults are single mums. And last week I stood up and say, in the church, it's a bit like that African proverb. In the, in the village, everyone raises the child. In the church, everyone raises the child. If you're, a, if you're a child, however old you are and you have no father, 
The church is the place where you can find those relationships of trust and protection and care and belief. Because the church is where the family is, where we have our Abba Father and where men act like fathers. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. To know what it is to be a father, we look to only one and he is the father. Because we believe in the message of Jesus. And that message is that God, the perfect father, wants to reveal his love, his perfect love, his unconditional love to you. So that you no longer need to be orphans but can be brought in to his loving care and protection. The father. One of the most powerful psalms, I think, are, are kind of, we sometimes have verses, don't we, that resonate in our life year after year. And this is that for me, Psalm 68. He is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Are you lonely inside, in your heart, at your most abandoned, at your most vulnerable? Are you saying, Father, I want to know your love. Well, he wants to you to reveal his love to you. He wants you to know how much he loves you as your Abba, as your father. Last week, we had the privilege of having this guy called Graham Seed come along. And this guy is about six foot six, about 25 stone, an ex-complete thug, hooligan, football violence, everything. And he starts, and what happened was he came to Shrewsbury and we got him into two senior schools in the town, uh, on the Grange uh, and Sundorn Senior School, and he spoke to about a thousand children during those two days. And then we had an evening event where we invited some people to come and hear the gospel. And he starts his talk with this. He says, "He said, when I was, I, I, when I was born, I was born out of my dad used to come and beat the pulp out of my mother, and then he raped her, and that's how I was born. And that's that's the start of his story in front of everyone. He says that." And then you can understand how his life dips from there. From that start, his life dips. He was never loved. He was never loved. And the person who loved him with his nana, and his nana had such a problem with drugs, that, that she eventually dies, and he's left absolutely abandoned. Now, for some of us, that is our experience. For most of us, it isn't quite that bad. Nevertheless, what he said to these kids resonated with them because the next day at our evening meeting we had 16 kids from one school all of them made a response and I bet my bottom dollar that most of them had no father figure because the father wants to bring people into his family he's a father to the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling God sets the lonely in families so are you a father here this morning do you have kids What sort of dad are you? Well, the only one we are to look to guidance for is our Heavenly Father. So the first thing that I want to encourage you to think about is that Father looks out for his children. He is looking out for his children. Are you a dad that's looking out for your children? Are you watching them? Are you looking out for them? Are you concerned about them? A fantastic parable that we have that Jesus talks about, the character of the Father is the prodigal son. And we all know it from Luke 15. The son slaps the father in the face, literally, almost literally, because he says, well, I'd rather that you be dead that I might have the resources, my inheritance now. It's such a shocking thing in a Middle Eastern culture for a son to say for a father, I wish you were dead because I want what you've got for me in the future. I want it now. And to me, you're dead. 
And that's what the prodigal said, uh, son said to the father in that story. He went off, as we know. He spent everything in wild living. He came to the situation where he had nothing left. All his friends deserted him. He got a job uh, feeding pigs, which again for a Jew would have been absolutely rock bottom. And he comes to his senses and said, even the servants in my father's household are treated better than this. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to ask Father, that I can come into a relationship as one of servitude, as a servant. That's what I want to do. I just want to be a servant. And what the fascinating and, and totally mystifying thing that we find in this story is that Father is already looking. He's looking for the return of the Son because that Son had died and he was looking for him. Where is my Son? He was looking out for him. Dads, are we looking out for our children? Are we looking out for them? Maybe they've gone away from the Lord. Are you looking out? Are you desperately hoping that they might return? He was looking out. He was looking out with compassion. And that compassion was shown in the way that he ran. He didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care what other people thought. He was so in love with his son. He's so desperate that his son might be found again. He didn't care about cultural norms. He didn't care what people might thought. He didn't care about looking dignified. He wanted his son home. And when he saw him, he couldn't help. The emotion came out of him such that it drove him to run for his son. He didn't wait for him to come. He didn't wait for him to come and and sort of plead the case. He didn't wait for him to say, yeah, I've messed up. I'm so sorry. He did it before that happened. He ran to him. He was compassionate. Dads, how compassionate are you of your children? How affectionate are you with them? Notice what the dad says in that the, the father in that he put a rings on his he, but first he, before he put a ring on his finger, he embraces him. He kisses him. I'm from a Greek Cypriot background. My mum's English, my dad's a Greek Cypriot. We are forever kissing each other. It's wonderful. I kiss my dad and my dad kisses me. Because that's what dads want to do. They are affectionate. A good dad is affectionate, not standoffish, okay? Not stiff upper lip, but affectionate, affectionate, affectionate. Every father knows that a child needs a hug. Every good father knows that a, fa- a child needs, a ho- needs to be held, to feel secure, to be feel loved. How much more when that child does something wrong do you need to hug and hold that child? In that picture, that picture is God the Father. And Jesus says he's, he runs to him, he puts his arms around him, he kisses him. Dads, how good are you at expressing affection to your children? Or are you a stand up and shake you by the hand sort of dad? That's not what our Father in Heaven's like. He would, doesn't want to shake you by the hand, he wants to kiss you. Not only was he compassionate and affectionate, he was full of joy. You know, we're going to celebrate This son of mine was dead, now he's alive. How can we not? How can we not celebrate? How can we not express our joy together? Dads, how good are you expressing joy in the house? Or are you grumpy? Sometimes my children say to me, Dad, you're so grumpy. And you know what? Often they're right. I'm becoming a grumpy middle-aged man. But that's not what father's like. Father's affectionate, he's compassionate. And he's full of joy. How are you at looking out for your children? How are you at looking out to the children in the community around? 
It's one thing to look out for the children in the church. But what about the children outside the church? The father has such a love, he wants it to spill out. We've had some discussions in our church where the behavior of some of the families and some of the children is such that some of the old timers, let me call them without judging them too much, sometimes acting like the elder brother in the story. They want their nice church to be, to be run smoothly. They don't want children to be running around. But the father says, let them come in to receive my grace and my love and my compassion. How good are you at that? What would happen if people from certain estates suddenly flooded in? That's what the father wants for you and for your church. Are you looking out? Are you praying for them? Are you looking out for them? Father lavishes love on us. It says in 1 John chapter 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. There's an extravagance about the Father's love. The Father is looking out for us and he's extravagant in his love for us. Again, growing up in my household, my mum and uh, dad would make sure that were for certain events, great big spreads. Great big spreads. And you can tell I'm a man who likes his food. And, and there'd be all sorts of different arrangements of Greek food and English food. And you, what would be great, you could go and have a bit of that pudding and a bit of this pudding and a bit of that pudding. It was lavish. And there was none of this. Well, I would also sneak a bit. I mean, my mum would obviously say, don't have too much. But, but there was a lavish spread. And sometimes I think we can get in the idea of out of discipline, we mustn't have too much. We mustn't have to, but the word lavish means extravagant. It's a bit like having a pudding. It's not, I'm into food, aren't I? You can have a pudding and then you get some squirty cream and you put it on. Oh, oh, and then you keep going and that becomes lavish. Whoa, and it becomes like a cream cone. And then you've got a pudding and a half, a lavish pudding, a lavish, something that is exuberantly more than you need. It's, it's lavish. You know, the Father wants to give you lavish love. And sometimes we think, oh, I think I've had enough now. Thank you very much. But the Father says there's so much more. I don't want to stop pouring out my love on you. It's not like enough love to save you, then enough love to get you baptized. And then after that, that's enough. That's just the very, very beginning. Baptism is always only ever an entry into discipleship. And then from then on, it's like the ocean ahead of you. It's like, baptism is like, oh, I'm getting my feet wet now. I mean, quite literally. It's fantastic. But don't think that that's, oh, you've made, no, that's the start of the journey. Biblically, that's the start of the new life in Christ. The abundant life, the lavish life of love. Maybe you've only ever been loved in very regimented blocks. Performance, love. Good grades at school, McDonald's. Yeah, or wherever it is for you. Because we're brought up like that. We're brought up in a performance sort of way, aren't we? Father doesn't look at it like that. Father says, here's my love, lavish love. I'm not holding back. I want to outpour it upon you, a lavish love. Fathers, dads, how lavish are you in the way that you treat your children? How lavish will you be in the way that you treat your children into the future? Will you be a dad who is extravagant at times? Not spoiling but lavishing. Maybe you've never been loved by that. The Father wants to show you his lavish love, his lavish outpouring. Not based on your performance, but based on his love. 
and his character. Father wants to pour out lavishly on you. Do you know the Father gives us life? He's the progenitor. He's the one who's created you. He's the one who's given you life. If you don't know who your father is, there's such a dilemma about who am I, where am I from? And maybe there are a few people here who just don't know who their dads are. And you're wondering, where am I from? Where do I belong? Who have I come from? Well, your father in heaven wants you to know that you've been born from him, that he is the originator of your life. Your life literally and your life or rather your life physically and also your life spiritually, your new born again life as well as your physical life. Psalm 139 says, you are wonderfully and beautifully made. You're not born out of mistake. Like Graham Seed, he's come to understand that that was not a mistake for him. God wanted him, even born out of adversity or sin or pain. It's God who has called your life into being. And it's God who has chosen you. He has chosen you. Maybe you're thinking, well, why would he want to choose you? And that's the mystery of God. He wants as many people in his family as is possible. He wants no one to be lost. And he's wanted you. I won't read that from John 5. The Father gives us life. Abundant life. Dads, how good are you at bringing life to your families? Excitement and life. You know, sometimes the worst thing we can say is, you'll never change. You'll never do that. Just keep on. Don't try anything new. But the Father says, yes, you can. It's all for you. You, Sometimes we say in a moment of cliche, the world is your oyster. But as, as Christians, with our Father in heaven, the world is our oyster. You can do all things in Christ. If God has put something in your heart, that you're not yet seeing, but you're yearning for, don't let anyone ever criticize or put you off. People have said to me, Nick, you'll never do this, you'll never do that. I've never let them put me off. Be stubborn in the things that God has given you because he believes that you can do it. He wants you to do it. He wants you to fulfill all the things that he's going to give you in life because he's a God of abundant life. Father always gives us life. New life, because he's chosen us abundant life, because he wants us to live out a life full of faith and adventure. The Father loves giving. The Father loves giving. Are you a dad that loves giving? Are you, or are you a dad of austerity? Uh, and, and a dad who's so careful that you never, ever take a risk in giving. Well, your heavenly father is a God who loves to give to you. And those classic scriptures that Jesus uh, teaches us about who our father is in relation to giving are so important to us. In verse 25, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is God, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we wear, or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Listen to this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Father knows what you need, and he wants to give it to you. Are you going through some financial difficulty? Well, the Father wants you to know that he's your provider. He's not only your provider, but he wants to give you gifts. He wants to give you gifts. He's a giver of gifts. And a gift is something that we can never deserve. If you're feeling like, well, I haven't really done very well to deserve a gift, you've misunderstood the word gift. The gift is not something you've earned. The gift is a gift. So if you've not done well, God still wants to give you a gift because that's the nature of what a gift is. Your Father in heaven loves to give you gifts. Okay? Dads, how good are we at giving gifts to our children or indeed to our wives? Let's be like our Abba, our Father, in the giving of gifts. In the giving of gifts. Let me move on. Aspects of who the Father is. By no means complete. There are so many. But these are the ones that I felt God put in my heart. The father or father lovingly disciplines his children. He lovingly disciplines his children. Let me turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. He lovingly disciplines his children because it legitimizes us. We're his children. We're not latchkey kids who are left to get on with life. We're fathered. It means there's discipline and there's love, sometimes painful. There's pruning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten, and, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, the, writer, the Hebrew says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his dad? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Discipline is good. I remember when my dad used to, he used to smack my bottom. At the time, I didn't feel it was good. But you know what he did? He gave maximum discipline and maximum love. So at the end of being chastised in some way or other, he'd put his arms around him and he said, son, I'm sorry I had to do that, but it's because I love you. And that, I remember that as being, wow, that's great. Not at the time, but now, as a dad, I remember that. That's how I'm, that's how I'm disciplining my children. It's not free for all. Kids don't feel secure with free for all. Kids feel free with strong discipline and strong love. Clear boundaries 
and maximum grace and love. The two go hand to hand. That's what the Father in heaven is like. Maybe you're going through difficulties. Maybe everything you're trying is failing. And I would say, suggest to you that might be the Lord showing you, don't go these ways. Go this way, child. Go this way. I love you so much. The Bible imagery is pruning. He prunes back. He cuts back. He throws off things that aren't going to be fruitful for your joy and for his glory. And if you're going through that period of pruning, it feels difficult. Know that with chastisement comes maximum love. With challenges or discipline comes maximum love, maximum grace, maximum identity in who you are. You're not illegitimate. You belong to your Abba Father. He's in control. Short-term pain is always long-term gain with our Father in heaven. Dads, how good are you at disciplining? Dads, do you discipline your children? Do you take leadership in your home to discipline the children? But discipline them with maximum love as well. That's on turned up 10. And maximum love is turned up 10. Don't let your children uh, be disrespectful to their mother. So I sometimes say to my children, don't you dare speak to my wife like that. Because it's my wife. It's not, not your mom. Firstly, she was my wife. We've got to protect the children by disciplining them. And actually, there's children out there who have no discipline and they long for loving discipline. And the church needs to be uh, not strict like that, not strict and tight, but lovingly disciplined. Don't swear like that. So I tell the children, wait, when I'm taking my infants to school, my children to school, and I pass teenagers and I hear them swearing, I say, don't swear like that because I don't want my children to hear it. And nearly always they say, okay, sorry. I've never had a child swear at me even worse. Because children need to know boundaries. Our Father in heaven is a Father who loves giving us protective boundaries. Because we're we're not orphans. We're not illegitimate. We're legitimate. And we're becoming like him. I think lastly, Father asks us to trust him. This is perhaps the most difficult thing to do. Through adversity, through pain, through despair. We all remember Jesus at Gethsemane. Uh, when he's facing the greatest trial of his life, uh, the cross. And in his despair, he cries out, Abba, Father, please remove this cup from me. Jesus says, remove this cup. I can't bear this. I I don't think I can bear this. I don't want to go this way. And he says, not my will, but yours. Because Jesus knows his Abba. Jesus knows his dad. His dad in the midst of utter crisis. Utter crisis. Maybe it's bereavement. Maybe it's terrible sickness. Maybe it's redundancy. Whatever it is for you. And if you've ever lost a child, you know, I felt the Lord say, if you've lost a child, he knows, he knows, he knows. And he's saying, in the midst of this, will you cry out, Abba, Father, I don't understand. This is all nonsense. This is crazy. Why? But you cry out, Abba, Father, like Jesus did. In Romans, Paul says, in Romans 8, you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And what Paul is saying, in the midst of trouble, just like Jesus, in the midst of trouble, the spirit in us enables us to call out, Abba, Father. 
It's not just like when everything is swimming and going wonderful. It's not like when we're in the heights of ecstasy and worship. It's when things are rock bottom. Paul says you have a spirit in you, not leading to fear and fear of the future and fear of abandonment, but the spirit calls out Abba, Father, Dad. It's like when your child as a little child falls over or hurts themselves or has a nightmare. All they want is their father, their Abba with them. And so it is with us, beloved. So it is with us. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. That's what Paul it goes on to say in Romans 8. We have, a, we have a father who longs that we would trust in him with everything, even in the midst of despair. Lastly, we have a father in heaven who equips his children. He equips us. Dads, how, well, how good are you doing at equipping your children? I remember... In a funny sort of way, my dad taking me out onto the pitch near where we used to live as a, as, a, as a boy growing up, and he used to do some football drills with me. I used to love playing football, and he used to kick the ball up, and I used to take it on my chest. He said, okay, son, turn this way with the ball, and I used to turn that way and pass it back, and then I remember turning that way, and we did some training together, and then I remember on a match day, I remember the ball, this was under 15, under 16, the ball was kicked by the goalie. I took it on my chest. I was like Zinedine Zidane. I took it on my chest. I turned that way. And then on the volley, I kicked it. And it went from the halfway line. And it went over the goalie and hit the bar and came off. And I remember that to this day. And I remember my dad equipped me for a moment like that. A moment I will never forget. I'm not a footballer. I've always been fairly average compared to others. But I remember my dad trained me to do a thing like that. I think, wow, he spent an investment in me. He trained me. He equipped me. He gave me a purpose to have a a shot like that, a goal. Now, it didn't go in, but I remember it. And I remember why I had a go. Because my dad gave me confidence to have a go. Dads, how well are you doing at giving confidence to your children to go for it? How well are you... Planning, preparing for their purpose in life. Well, your Father in heaven has a plan for you which would blow your socks off if you knew it more and more. In Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 14, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which is freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, there's that word, with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we are also chosen, Oh, you're chosen. You're valuable. You're chosen by him. Don't let ever anyone say that you're not. You're chosen. Don't let the enemy say, why would God want me? What can I do? You're chosen. Chosen. What a word. It's like when someone's adopted, it's not just like the parents have children. They have chosen the child to be into their family. That's what God has done to each one of you. You're chosen. Live like you're chosen. You're special in his eyes because he's come around and he said, yes, I want you in my family, son. Come on. That's what chosen means. Don't get, don't get bogged down with what about others. That's the mystery of sovereign, the sovereignty of God. Suffice to say that he doesn't want anyone to be lost. Don't let chosenness 
be lost by theological conundrums. The Bible says you're chosen, live it. Because when we live, with, when we lived, when we know we're chosen, we can do all things in Christ. In Ephesians 2, chapter 10, uh, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says this. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works, no one can boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Each one of you, God has got good works for you to do. Doesn't matter to him if it's big, doesn't matter to him if it's small. What matters is that you live out what God has given you. Don't let anyone say you haven't got something to do because God, the Almighty, your Abba Father, has said in his word, he has got works for you to do for his glory and for the salvation of this area. Fathers equip their children. So, where does that leave us? Your Father in heaven wants to meet with you. He wants to soften your heart to him. He wants to heal you if you need healing. He wants to encourage you if you need encouraging. He wants you to know that he has never and will never abandon you. He wants you to know that he is your Abba Father and that he has gone to extraordinary uh, lengths to save you into his family. Not into anyone else's family, into his family. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. His only son to rescue you and to call you into sonship and daughtership. That's the love of the Father. Don't let your past hinder your inheritance now. Allow him to soothe it. Allow him to heal it. Allow him to help you to overcome that which the enemy has planted for good. He turns around for his glory. Allow him to do that. Don't think that you've been a Christian for many years now, that that that. It's kind of brushed over. I, don't, I shouldn't go back there. If you know in your heart that you find it hard to call him father, father, that he wants to work in you so that you can call him Abba, father. That's what the Holy Spirit, and maybe you're sitting there now and, and the Holy Spirit is saying to you, that's you, that's, that's you, because the Holy Spirit wants you to enable you to call him father. He wants you to bring your hurts and disappointments and pain and suffering to him. As your Abba, as your Father, one who'll never leave you or forsake you. Phil, can we play that song? I want to play a song uh, called Father Like No Other. And then I'm going to hand over uh, if there's any ministry time. <laughs> 